Now, Birdsong, fun and fascinating talk about the top stories in today's headlines. Birdsong may just be the most qualified talk show host in the business, thanks to his many careers in law, government, and education. Here's your host, Leonard Birdsong. Hello, folks. Birdsong back with you on the radio. So happy to be here. I have my friend EJ with me today. We've got a lot of things to talk about. We have the good, the bad, and the ugly of the news that we want to talk about for this past week. We're not going to do some dumb criminal law stories this week. We're going to do some news tidbits, news that are true, but you may not have heard. We're going to have a guest, Gary Rowan, today. He's written a book about Forgotten Father. And we will have some riddles, and of course, we will have a Paul Harvey story and my thought for the week. So let's get started. We have a lot to say. Usually there's more good this week or this past week than we've had in other weeks. One of the things that happened, we had several primary elections around the United States on the 28th, Florida, Oklahoma, and Arizona. In Florida, there was some historic um, results. I'm proud to say that an African-American his name is um, Andrew Gellum. He's won the Democratic nomination to be governor of the state of Florida, first time in history. At the same time, Andrew Shaw, who's a lawyer in Tampa, Florida. Is that Sean Shaw? Sean Shaw. Mm-hmm. That's his name. So he won the nomination to be attorney general of the state of Florida. He's also African-American. He won the Democratic Party nomination. That's first time that that's happened in Florida also. All of this occurred on the 28th of August, which also was the anniversary of Martin Luther King's 1963 I Have a Dream speech in Washington. It's also the day in 2008 that Barack Obama was nominated to be the presidential candidate for the Democratic Party. So my congratulations. My congratulations to Mr. Gullum and to Mr. Shaw. Wish them luck in their final election. We'll see what happens. This is historic. Other good news. I couldn't get to this last week. Many of you know that when I was in the State Department for about three years, I was one of the hearing officers for former Nazi Party members and Waffen-SS soldiers in Germany. And uh, last week, we have something happened in the United States. The last known former Nazi camp guard living in the United States was deported and flown to Germany. And uh, they hope he's the last one. He was 95 years old. Wow. His name, Jaku Pelish. What and kind of name is that? It's He was born in the Ukraine. I see. He... Um, immigrated to the New York in 1949 and became a United States citizen in 1957. He lied about his role during the Nazi time. As a matter of fact, he was a, a guard at a concentration camp where 6,000 Jewish people were killed in one single day in 1943. He was there at that date. He says, of course, he didn't kill anyone. He didn't do anything against any crimes against humanity. Is that possible? Well, that's what he says. However, having been there, having been an SS guard, it's more than likely than not that he was involved 
in the atrocities there. Like I said, he was born in the Ukraine. He was a Nazi, made a Nazi. He was stripped of his United States citizenship in 1970, believe it or not, when they found out that he had lied about what he did during the Second World War. He Why was, did it take so long? Well, because the office that investigates this did not start running until 1980. Oh. Okay. So when they finally did. Exactly. It was really, it was really 1978 and then it was up and running better in 1980. It's called the Office of Special Investigations. So why did it take him so long after he was stripped of his citizenship to leave the country? Well, again, he had, he had appeals and he had the situation where Germany didn't want him, Ukraine didn't want him, and Poland didn't want him. Uh, I guess so. Finally, Mr. Trump, our president, got our ambassador in Germany to uh, talk to Angela Merkel and her people, and they decided to take him as a goodwill gesture. At 95, I don't think he's going to live that much longer. As a matter of fact, we understand that he's been put in what they call a senior home. They're not putting him in jail. Well, he got to milk the United States benefits and rights and and uh, what? Milk he, us. The largesse of the United States. Yes. That's right. He was a Nazi. Whether he did it or not, he was certainly complicit in it. He was made an SS guard at a concentration camp where 6,000 Jews lost their lives. So he's been here almost 70 years. That's right. That's Shame. right. But he'd be gone now. There's other good. We know that on the 26th, nope, it was the 25th of August last week that Senator McCain passed away. On the 24th, I think his family reported that they, he would no longer try to fight the disease. He stopped. He passed away. That's not a good thing, but he lived a good life. He says he lived a good life. He was a maverick in the Senate. He was a pilot that was shot down over Vietnam. He was incarcerated by the Vietnamese for five and a half years. They tortured him. He finally came home in 1973. The first time I heard of John McCain was when I was in law school in 1973. Saw him get off the plane and greeted by his family after the war ended and after the prisoners came home. He went on to be a Congress congressperson in Arizona and then a senator. He was in the Senate for over 30 years. There has been an outpouring of goodwill for what he's done, being a war hero, being a senator. As a matter of fact, Trump, Mr. Trump, the president, tweeted his deepest sympathies and respects to his family. Melania Trump also sent our thoughts and prayers and deepest sympathy to Mr. McCain's family. Also, Barack Obama sent his good wishes to the family and lionized what the things that uh, Mr. Did what? He lionized the kinds of things that McCain did. Great. All right. He was ahead of the, I guess, the Senate appropriations or military uh, commission or something like that. Also, other world, leery, other world leaders, I'm sorry, have come out 
and said good things about him. Angela Merkel from uh, Germany said that John McCain was led by the firm convictions that the sense of all political work lies in service to freedom. Also, French President Emmanuel Macron called McCain a true American hero. Even the Afghanistan chief executive, Abdullah Abdullah, tweeted that McCain was a great friend and supporter of Afghan, of the Afghan nation and the people throughout the years. Also, McCain, also the Ukrainian people celebrated with strong support for McCain for the things he had done for McCain, for the country of Ukraine, rather. British Prime Minister Theresa May called the late senator a great statesman who embodied the idea of service over self. Canadian Prime Minister... That had to be a a diss on uh, President Trump. That may have been. Mr. Trump wasn't invited to the funeral. As a matter of fact, the body of McCain has uh, been laid in state in the state capitol in Arizona. Then this this past weekend... He uh, will go to the next uh, weekend. He will go to the rotunda in Washington where he will lie in state and he will be buried at the Annapolis Naval School. And that's where he went to college and he will be buried there. Now, his father and his grandfather were admirals in the United States Navy. They were both buried at Arlington National Cemetery, but he didn't want to be buried at National National Cemetery. He thought Annapolis was the place he enjoyed most when he was in school, mm. and that's where he wanted to be buried, and uh, he will be buried there on Monday, as we understand it. Well, he was such a role model that I guess he learned it from his father and grandfather, had good uh, examples from them. Yep, that's right. But, uh, it's too bad that people have, have veered away from being uh, being patriots being patriots being respectful being statesmen yep yep showing respect mm-hmm. for our country all right on to the bad now the bad is for our president The federal prosecutors have granted immunity to two top executives of the National Enquirer that is published by a group down in Florida. The person's name is Mr. Pecker. And um, the Enquirer's publisher, Mr. Pecker, has been asked to go to the grand jury and has told things that helped lead to Michael Cohen's Guilty, please. In exchange for his cooperation, as I understand it, the government will not bring charges against him. They granted him what's called immunity. He will he will not face prosecution if he tells the truth about what's happening, what has happened with the women supposedly that Trump tried to cover up his affairs. Now, we don't know exactly what goes on in the grand jury, but it's my understanding from reading about this. He has gone to the grand jury. He's been very helpful to 
the prosecutors, the federal prosecutors in New York City that are pursuing Mr. Um, Cohen. So immunity is a good thing to have. It means you don't go to jail. You give up your rights to the Fifth Amendment. And I guess they want to save their business. There is other bad news for Trump. That is, President Trump, along these same lines, just before Mr. Pecker was given immunity from prosecution, we learn that President Trump's finance chief, a confidant who had worked for a family business since early 1970, he was also granted immunity as to things that Mr. Trump has done with Michael Cohen over the years. The immunity granted to the Trump Organization's chief financial officer, a man by the name of Alan Weisselberg, or Vesselberg, has been restricted to just the grand jury testimony. We don't know what he may have said in the grand jury, but he cannot be prosecuted for any thing that he says or anything he was involved with. But Mr. Vesselberg supposedly knows where all the bodies are buried and about all the scandals and all the sins, and we will find out. That is bad. I think both of these groups of people going to jail, the people from the, what is it, the Inquirer, and his chief financial person, that's not good at all. That is bad news for Mr. Trump. We will see what comes of it. But good news for the investigation. Well, yeah. Probably couldn't provide the explanations about the uh, tax filings, tax returns. Yeah, we may find out how much um, Donald Trump how made. much money really Mr. Trump has. Well, you know, these investigations, they sort of go slowly, drip, drip, drip. But immunity is a very powerful weapon used by federal prosecutors. I used to be one. That's why I know something about this. So there we're, must we're be a lot of information they can they expect to get from him. You're absolutely right. But again, we may never we may never know. Generally, you don't see what was said in the grand jury until there is a trial. Mm. If these people testify in the grand jury. The grand jurors are not supposed to talk about what they've heard. The prosecutor is not supposed to talk about what they heard, nor the court reporter. Now, the person who is in the grand jury, he has a right to say whatever he wants. But, you know, some of them get killed when they do that. So wow. generally, you don't find what's happened in the grand jury until there's a trial. Wow. So we've talked a little bit about the good. We've talked about the bad. Now let's talk about the ugly. Okay. There was another shooting in Florida this past weekend. I tell you, talk about Dodge City or Dodge State, whatever. As many of you probably heard now, a gunman killed two people and injured 11 others before fatally shooting himself on Sunday, the 26th of August. And this was in the afternoon during a video game tournament at a downtown venue in Jacksonville, Florida. The fellow, a Baltimore resident, David Katz, 24 years old, was competing in the the Madden NFL 19 Championship Series and opened fire shortly after 1.30 p.m. inside the Chicago Pizza Restaurant in Jacksonville where the tournament was being held. Wow. 
Nine people were taken to local hospitals. Two people were lost their lives. They were, I have their names here, Elijah Clayton was from California, and a fellow by the name of Taylor Robinson was from South Carolina, I think it was. They lost their lives. These are all young people in their 20s. I didn't know about this kind of gaming things that are going on across the country. It's supposed to be big business, and people make money from these things. Yeah, I was surprised. They make some some significant amount of money, or they can. They can. This he must be. Uh, he must have lost. Well, I'm I'm getting to that. This is um, these are this is ugly news as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I mean, anyone who takes guns into a place where you're having some kind of game or something and shooting it up. But the story I understand is that this fellow Katz, he won a couple of years ago. He won a good amount of money. He won. No one expected him to win. He became very good at this video gaming. Uh-huh. And this year, when he came to the, the group, he lost his games. He would not go to the final. Oh. And it seems as if he killed the people who what? won. Who beat him? Who beat him? Yes. Now we later found out that he had had mental problems earlier in his life and had been institutionalized twice. Now again, but he might have overcome that. Well, he might have overcome it, but if you've been in a mental institution, I don't think anyone should be selling you a gun. But he legally bought these two handguns right. in his hometown of Baltimore, mm-hmm. and he kills two people in Florida. This is just ugly news. Again, a poor loser. Poor loser. You think about people going to different competitions, tennis competitions, bridge competitions, golf competitions. Right. Imagine folks bringing their guns when they lost (laughs) a golf round. Well, let's pray to God that we don't have more of this. As a matter of fact, the Madden contest have been put off now. Uh, I think they've stopped them for the rest of this year. Yes, I did hear that. Yeah. Somebody, one of those two, uh, the families of the victims have already sued and Madden has canceled, I think, two of them. Yeah. There are two remaining yeah, yeah. until they get a sense of what kind of security measures need right. to be taken. Uh, well, all they need are the, they need these uh, metal detectors uh, at the door. They need someone to screen the people. But, you know, the, the money these kids were winning, I won't say kids, they're in their 20s. Uh, the fellow from California was using the money to go back to college, mm. and the fellow from South Carolina was using the money to help his family. You know, so anyway, it is the ugly. You're listening to Birdsong here. We're happy to be here on the radio. There's more for you. I'm here with my friend EJ. We're going to take a little pause for the cause and we're going to come back and we're going to talk about some news tidbits, real news that maybe you haven't heard about. Stick with us. There's more to come. Song back with you. We have news for you. Very often at this segment, I read my some of my dumb criminal law stories that I collect. I'm not going to do it today. I'm interested in the news. I've always been fascinated by the news ever since I was a newspaper boy when I was 12 and 13 years old. That's got me into reading the newspaper. I have some what I call news tidbits for you. These are real newsworthy. 
things that have been reported mainly by the Associated Press and that are true. Some of them are sad. Some of them are funny. Some of them just leave you scratching your heads. Here's the first one for today. Comes out of Illinois. A high school math teacher outraged parents in Illinois when he featured questions on a test about getting high on cocaine. Quote, you take 600 milligrams of cocaine, your body filters out 40% per hour. How high are you in three hours? The school didn't like it. The parents didn't like that test. He's out of a job now, as we understand it. Wow. France. Here's one. The headline, and like you guys know that EJ knows a lot of French. I know a little bit, but the headline says Macron beauty bill très cher. That means her beauty bill, very costly. The effortless beauty of the French first lady, Brigitte Macron, comes at a steep price to taxpayers in France. Commoners are footing a hefty $6,000 a month bill for hair and makeup for her and her presidential husband, Emmanuel Macron. The handsomely paid hairdresser is required to be ready to jump in with a hairdryer and makeup kit in the palace and during visits, according to the French Court of Accounts, whose tally for this year has come to $72,600. Sacre bleu. Très cher. Really expensive. Probably didn't know that, but that's true no, True news that you now know about. Now, here's one from Florida. They there, need to put her on, on the payroll. Yeah, maybe that would be better. Here's one from Florida. There are always weird stories from Florida. It's a tidbit, though. Headline. On his way to a tailgater. A man made a beer run at a Florida convenience store while carrying, what, a live alligator with its mouth taped shut. Video posted by First Coast News shows the unidentified man walking into the Jacksonville store clutching the gator in his right hand. He walks with the gator toward the counter, asking, quote, y'all ain't out of beer, are you? He then sees someone in the back of the store and says, is he taking the last bit of beer? You aren't taking the last bit of beer, are you? The gator guy then grabs a 12-pack of beer, leaves the store, and Florida wildlife investigators are looking into this bizarre incident. Did he pay for it? We don't know. Sounds like that's supposed to be his his gun. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> his alligator, huh? Mm-hmm. All right. Here's one from England. All true stories. Safety is number one for this British man. Now, just think about that headline. Safety is number one for this British man. Thomas Watson, who's 22, was visiting Essex's 1.34-mile South End Pier. That's the world's longest pier. He was with his wife and his child. When he noticed smoke billowing... When he noticed smoke billowing up from the boards of the pier, he didn't waste time. What he did is that he put out or started to put out the fire by urinating on it. (laughs) Local officials praised his quick thinking tinkling. (laughs) The headline, safety is number one. 
for this British man. How true, huh? Okay. Let's come back to the United States. Headline on this short little news tidbit. Prisoners pot luck. An Ohio state prison will use equipment seized from an illegal marijuana grower to cultivate vegetables for the poor. The Vindicator newspaper of Youngstown, Ohio, reports tens of thousands of dollars worth of hydroponic, it's got hydroponic equipment seized by police has been donated to the Trumbull Correctional Institute for the prison's inmate agricultural program. Inmates at the maximum security prison grew 10,000 pounds of food donated to the poor last year. The equipment was seized during a raid in which police found 56 marijuana plants growing in a house. Isn't that something? Mm -hmm. Prisoners pot luck. What about this one? We go down to the border now. Texas and Mexico. The headline, 420 Golf Bags Stuffed with Ganja. Border Patrol officers in South Texas has put a wedge between the smugglers and four hundred and forty thousand dollars worth of marijuana stuffed in golf bags found abandoned along the Rio Grande River. <laughs> Customs and Border Patrol officials on Monday, or one Monday in when was this? Was in August? Yes, early August of this year. Customs and Border Officials say that uh, the Border Patrol agents discovered the golf bags, some with clubs, but all filled with about 50 pounds of marijuana. Mm -mm -mm. Four, 20, I don't get it. Golf bags stuffed with ganja, that part I do get. Ganja is marijuana. Well, were they abandoned or were they supposed to be uh, set there? Well, they were probably set there for someone else to pick up, but the Border Patrol got there first. Mm. All right, here's another one from Massachusetts. Let's just make sure they still have the same amount when they turn them in. (laughs) (laughs) They catch so much marijuana coming across that border. I don't know if you've ever been down to the border down there. Boy, it's something on those. I've been down there. At any rate, let's go on with these stories here. Our time is running. The headline for this one says, Feedly D. An employee at the LBC Boutique and Loan Pawn Shop in Massachusetts, traded $50 for a violin he thought was junk. But but it was really worth nearly 5,000 times what he paid for it, approximately $250,000. Why is this? The instrument turned out to be what's known as a Ferdinando Galliano handcrafted violin made in 1739 in Italy. It had been stolen during a recent burglary and had been returned and now has been returned to its rightful owner. $250,000 violin for 50 bucks at a pawn shop. Mm-hmm. Here's one. Belong to Mozart or something? Well, I don't know. Oh, he didn't play violin, did he? Oh, yeah, he did. Oh, did Mozart he? did play violin uh-huh. and piano and oboe and a number of instruments. Okay. Here's one from July of this year. The headline, Polls Apart from Truth. Polls Apart from Truth. President Trump, on a Sunday in July 2018, claimed his poll numbers are higher than Abraham Lincoln's, despite the fact that normal polling didn't begin until more than 70 years after Lincoln's death. Oh, gosh. There you go with another one. Quote, wow, highest poll numbers in the history of the Republican Party. 
That includes Honest Abe Lincoln and Ronald Reagan. Trump tweeted that. The story goes on to say that modern polling methods were first used by Gallup in the 1936 presidential election. It's unclear to which survey Mr. Trump was referring. A Gallup poll last week found his approval rating well below those of both Bushes in July of their second year in office. Poll apart from truth. Polls apart from truth. That's what the headline says. Well, if you can't find anything supporting you, you got to make it up. All right. We're coming to the end here. This is the last story for the day. Well, there's no headline. No, no, here's the headline. Well, at least there was no offensive smell. The story. Police went to the home of a 76-year-old suburban London man after irritated neighbors complained of offensive human noises coming from the residence. Turns out the old-timer's four-year-old great-grandson was playing with a fart machine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, at least there was no offensive smell. How about that? Okay. All right. That's a funny one. All right. A little, some riddles here. Don't answer them now. Just listen. What do Alexander the Great and Winnie the Pooh have in common? What do Alexander the Great and Winnie the Pooh have in common? Second one. Can a con- second one. Can a kangaroo jump higher than the Empire State Building? <laughs> Finally, what would be a beanstalk giant's Wi-Fi password? Figure those out. At the end of the show, I'll give you the answers. We'll be back. We've got a guest, Gary Rowan, going to talk to us about things he's written. This is Birdsong. Stick with us. Hello, folks. Back with you. On Birdsong, hope you're learning things from what we're talking about. You've had the good and the bad and the ugly of the news that we wanted to talk about. I'm here with EJ, my friend. We also talked about some news tidbits. Some of them were funny, some of them were sad, but they're all true stories. We've got a guest now, Gary Rowan. Gary is an author, fellow that I know. He's a nationally syndicated book critic and writer. He's a consultant, has been writing things since... 45 years, or four for four, or four for 45 years. He's the author of Journey, a collection of science fiction short stories. He has two published books of poetry, and uh, he has a short story collection to be released later this year known as Slotsky's World. He has a collection of short stories, and now he's written what's called The Forgotten Father. He's also the author of Cats, Cats, and More Cats. Gary, welcome to Birdsong. How are you? Birdsong, I'm fine. Um, just wanted to mention Cats, Cats, Cats. I'm the co-writer, but uh, that doesn't uh, really matter. But, uh, you know, just a co-writer. But uh, Forgotten Father is what we're going to talk about, and I'd love to talk about it. Well, I want you to talk about it. You sent me a copy of it. Thank you very much. I've read it. It's very interesting. And why don't you tell folks why you've written Forgotten Father? I wrote Forgotten Father because 
I was a father back in the 80s in a marriage that wasn't a, a real good marriage, but uh, the one shining thing in it was uh, the son that my ex-wife and I had. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name was Michael David Rowan. He was uh, uh, born in uh, 1983, December 27th, and died March the 15th, 1984. Uh, mm. He was a wonderful uh, baby. Uh, what you can always say about uh, what happened with him of sudden infant death is he was a fantastic baby. He was a miracle child, uh, is what people always said, you, you know, and and they looked at him uh, in the brief span that we had him, and people were saying, you know, all kinds of fantastic things about him. And I'm finding 30-some years later that a lot of things have not changed. People don't really talk about SIDS. I have in front of me on my computer the uh, uh, number of SIDS-related or uh, death of a child that's unexplained, and it's something like 4,000 a year. SIDS-related infant deaths that occur each year. It's down from what we heard back then. It was about 10,000. But for no explained reason, it's down, but for no explained reason, the child also dies. You mm-hmm. have a perfectly healthy child, and it just whatever. So I wrote the book through the process of the ordeal of grief and found several things that are still true today, but I wrote it as therapy for me. What we published is a lot shorter than what I actually wrote, but I don't mind because it achieves the purpose that I had intended with the title of the book, and that's the biggest thing I have found. Fathers are the forgotten entity in the whole picture, no matter what type of death that child uh, happens. You know, whatever way the child dies, when it is normal, uh, caring parents, there's a difference. We see all the time, and that's what fits in with your show, we see all the time a parent or a boyfriend or a girlfriend kills the child and the police take the uh, person into custody and hopefully they have a trial and uh, the person is convicted. In my case, I was treated in the same manner by a sheriff's department. At the time, I didn't understand it. I do now, simply because of the overworked load that the sheriff's departments of the country have and the police departments of people who do kill their own children. And set mm, there, there, as, there are a lot of them. There are a lot of them. As we know, uh, the question in the Casey Anthony case was, did she or didn't she? You know, and she got off, but you still have a dead child. That's right. In my case, it was clearly sudden infant death because he was a perfectly healthy child. And another thing we were warned about is don't let this be the reason if you have a divorce, which it wasn't. Our divorce came along about five years later, so uh, or four years later. So I was relieved in that. So I wrote the book because people would come up to me and say, how is your wife doing? How's your wife doing? How's your wife doing? 
never a bit of concern for me. The least they could have said is, I'm here for you if you want me to listen. That's all I asked, and I didn't even get that. So in compiling this book and talking to fathers around the country to get comments for the back of the book, as, as you have seen, I talked to fathers all over the country, and they said, Mr. Rowan, that nothing has changed. When their situation happened, say a drowning or whatever way, their child, and, and we're not talking about infants, we're talking about any child, any age, people would approach and say, how's your wife doing? How's your wife doing? And that's in the case of these gentlemen all across the country. Mm-hmm. So one of, the, one of the little blurbs, let me just take a, a moment here to say, quote, in our culture, men are expected to never show weakness, to stay strong and to bear adversity without emotion. But even Superman has shed tears. Someday SIDS will be understood and eliminated. I can't imagine anything worse than a beautiful baby dying for no apparent reason. That was Sean, I'm sorry, Sharon Ahern who wrote that for you, uh-huh. but I think that it sums up what you're talking about. It the sums forgotten, up the, the father is forgotten. Now, you had told me a little bit about the fact that the police took you, I don't know if they took you into custody or arrested you, but they talked to you at least. How long did this last? Well, let me explain. They did not do anything. They took, they, they took, let me put it this way. Michael had a cold, and as a baby, you expect their immune systems to be much stronger because they're a newborn, and so it's all new, say, and his apparently wasn't as strong as it should have been, so he got this cold. We were treating it with medications prescribed by doctors. Well, the police came in after the sheriff's, uh, after the fire department and made it a case. And I didn't find out about it because I worked in the courthouse, luckily, and I was the courthouse courier. So on my run one day, I stopped off at the uh, sheriff's department office that was out in one of our areas and asked them, what is this for? They said, well, we're, we're checking to see if it was a murder. I said, I love my son. There's no way I murdered my son. Mm-hmm. I said, why do you have this? And she said, well, it's to make a case if we need to. I said, you don't need to. The, mm-hmm. the coroner has already said it was a Sid's death. And right. we have, we're, we're in grief. And so they finally gave me back the message that it had been destroyed. Okay, that's good. So it's sad in a way, but I understand it now. I didn't quite understand it then. A lot of other things that I didn't understand then uh, was another one, was uh, my ex-wife was given three days. uh, No, I was given three days to pull everything together. That meant having a service, burying him, and going back to work. He died on a Thursday. I had to be back on the Monday. I now understand what my boss's thinking was, and that was to just take my mind off the situation of grief and try to get back to some sense of normalcy. But at that time, there is nothing like that because you're dealing with the death of your own child. 
Yeah, I I know that. You know, I lost a child too, not to SIDS, but I know what you're going through. Gary, your book is beautifully written. It's not a long book. It's something though that I want to know. Is it uh, for sale at Amazon or in bookstores or both or what? It is. Uh, people can order it any any uh, bookstore, uh, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, any bookstore in the country can uh, get it because of the distribution it has. Uh, that's the hard uh, copy physical uh, one. And then it is a Kindle, it is a Nook, and it is also something called Smashword. I'm not sure what Smashword is. I know, I know of Smashwords. Yeah, sure. <laughs> the book is The Forgotten Father. It's by Gary Rowan. Gary, thanks so much for coming on with you. I wish you good luck with the sales of the book. It is beautifully written. Short, but beautifully written. We know that you are a poet, Gary. Yeah, thank you for the kind words, and I appreciate uh, uh, that you've had me on the show. All right, then. We'll be talking later. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. okay. Thank you. This is this is Birdsong. We're still here with you. We just finished talking with Gary Rowan about his book, The Forgotten Father. He lost a child 30-some years ago, and he has never gotten over the whole experience. So he wrote a book about it. I'm here with EJ. EJ, you still there? All right, good. We're going to take another pause, and we will be back with a short Paul Harvey story. Stick with us. This is Birdsong back with you. I have a Paul Harvey story, sort of a short one. But you'll like it. This one is called Fit for a Wizard. This was written by Paul Harvey's son, Paul Arant. The motion picture The Wizard of Oz has stood the test of time. Even today, eight decades after its release, if a television station inadvertently cuts a minute or two out of the movie, the station may receive hundreds of protesting telephone calls. When asked to identify the cast, the real names of the actors, most people can name at least five of them. Judy Garland. Ray Bolger, Jack Haley, Bert Lahr, and the Wicked Witch of the West, Margaret Hamilton. But there is another actor who receives top billing in the printed credits, credits right after Judy Garland's name. He is Frank Morgan. Ten years after his participation in the most significant motion of picture event, Frank Morgan died in his sleep. Many of his obituaries failed to mention The Wizard of Oz, even though Frank Morgan took three prominent roles in the movie. He was Professor Marvel, he was the Emerald City Coachman, and he was the Wizard himself. What concerns Frank Morgan in the filming of The Wizard of Oz seems unbelievable, but is confirmed by the surviving members of the MGM staff directly associated with the incident. It was early in the shooting of The Wizard of Oz, the black-and-white sequences on Dorothy Gale's Kansas farm. Upcoming was the sequence where Dorothy was to run away from home and to meet Professor Marvel, the traveling sideshow man played by Frank Morgan. The role of Professor Marvel would require a particular kind of coat, a garment which reflected a sort of shabby gentility, a grander-gone seed. MGM's wardrobe department was notified. Staff members were sent to an old second-hand shop on Main Street in Los Angeles and returned with a rack of no fewer than 50 coats, which potentially filled the bill. Actor Frank Morgan and director Victor Fleming met to select a coat from the rack. 
The one they decided upon was a Prince Albert coat, which flared at the waist. It was made of black broadcloth and had a nap-worn velvet collar. The director's stepdaughter, who was present at the time, recalls that the garment was ratty with age. And it fit Frank Morgan perfectly. Professor Marvel's sequence would take less than a week to shoot. Weather-wise, it was a rather warm week, especially in the studio under the hot lights. On one of those shooting days, Frank Morgan was perspiring profusely under the weight of his ratty Prince Albert coat. Between shots, Frank absently turned the sweat-soaked coat pockets inside out to give them and him some air. That's when he glanced down at the lining of one of the pockets to see the name of the tailor written in indelible ink. Following the name was the original owner, the man for whom the coat had been made. Skeptical MGM executives wired the tailor in Chicago. In a few days, they received a notarized letter of confirmation. After the picture was completed, Professor Marvel's coat was presented to an elderly woman, the widow of the former owner. Yes, she said, the coat had been her husband's. The tattered garment had been selected because it was right for the part and because it fit Frank Morgan. But through what can only be described as remarkable coincidence and perhaps a touch of magic, Professor Marvel, before the cameras, wore a coat which had been made for the original wizard himself, the author of The Wizard of Oz, L. Frank Baum. And now you know the rest of the story. This is Birdsong. That's a nice little story. Here are some answers to the riddles. Okay. First riddle. What do Alexander the Great and Winnie the Pooh have in common? Simple. They share the same middle name. Winnie, Alexander the Great and uh, Winnie <laughs> the Pooh. Oh, my goodness. All right, the second one. Can a kangaroo jump higher than the Empire State Building? What do you think? No. No, the answer is yes. He can jump higher than an Empire State Building because the building can't jump. <laughs> uh, that was that was an easy one. Here's the last one. This may take a little more. What would be a beanstalk beanstalk giant's Wi-Fi password? What would be a Beanstalk's giant, giant's Wi-Fi password? Can't think of it? No clue. No clue? How about Wi-Fi faux fum? <laughs> corny. <laughs> uh, it's corny, but hey, that's a pretty good one. This is Birdsong. We're, we're almost finished with the show here, but I've got my thought of the week. I want you all to think about this before we sign off. You may feel unappreciated. Remind yourself of all the substantial progress you've made and already achieved. Just because your nose is still held to the grindstone doesn't mean your eyes cannot look toward the stars. This is Birdsong and EJ. Let's say goodbye to the folks. Au revoir. Au revoir. Au revoir. Bye-bye. We'll talk to you next week.